Today's episode of Idle Weekend is brought to you by Zipcar. Earn $25 of free driving credit at joinzipcar.com slash weekend. Welcome to Idle Weekend. I'm Danielle Riendo, and I'm here with myself. That's right, it is a very special solo show, but don't worry anyone, don't panic, don't freak out. Rob will be back next week. I'm just going to hold down the fort today with a little mailbag episode. It'll just be me and you, gentle readers, listeners, viewers, however you identify. So I'm just going to go through a few cool emails from the last couple weeks, and we'll just have ourselves a little fireside chat. So, our very first email this week comes from Joe from Brooklyn. Hey, Joe from Brooklyn, you're my neighbor. Joe writes, Hey, Weekenders. I listened to a recent podcast where you guys discussed queer characters in games, and it made me think of one of the most overlooked games that deals with LGBT issues, Fallout New Vegas. New Vegas is a hidden gem in dealing with issues other games won't deal with, but one of the most amazing things about the game is your ability to play as a gay, bi, or straight character. The thing about New Vegas is that you can't really romance anyone besides banging some prostitutes and one fisting robot. Uh, Instead, being a gay character in New Vegas primarily allows the player to see the world in a different way by offering new dialogue choices. When I first played New Vegas as a straight dude with a straight character, there was an NPC in particular who was pretty boring and inconsequential. Playing as a gay man, I was able to flirt with him, and when he rebuffed because he was closeted, I was able to either berate him or sympathize with him, which led to a broader conversation about how the two factions in the game dealt with homosexuality. Being gay turned this boring military dude into one of the most memorable characters in the game for me. What I like about this is that it doesn't just treat being queer as who you bang. It treats being queer as an experience. Being queer in New Vegas allows you to connect with other characters in a different way and leads to a different viewpoint of the world around you. These experiences are are not too great in number, although the game features gay companions and super mutants dealing with gender identity. And sometimes they just amount to flirting with dudes, including your own brain, in one DLC. But I was curious about your thoughts on if this might be a more valid and authentic way to play as a gay character as opposed to games like Fallout 4 that generally keep dialogue the same but give you choices on who to bang and flirt with. Or even if there is greater strength in this game where you can contrast through different runs how your straight characters and gay characters and bi characters experience the world as opposed to a game where you have one authored sexual identity. Joe from Brooklyn. Joe from Brooklyn. First, I have to say, I kind of like the whole... Who do you bang? I just, I just like that kind of idea. Like, oh yeah, I just bang as a, <laughs> it's like a perfect phrase for talking about video game characters, right? Who, who you banging? It's, it's, uh, it's pretty funny. Uh, but yeah, I think that's a totally cool and interesting way to do queer characters. Like, obviously, queer people in the real world are not just who we have sex with. Like, it's the same, obviously, for a straight person. It's not like the only thing about your identity is like, who you have sex with, who you bang, right? There's an entire experience to the world of being queer. And that's, I think, something that people miss uh, when they sort of get up in arms about like things like a pride parade. It's just something something I've heard in my life, like, well, who cares? What, what are you proud of? Who you have sex with? And it's like, no, actually, it has to do with an entire 
culture and entire identity and, you know, being not treated very well in this country for a very, very long time and sort of taking that back and being proud of who you are and proud to be who you are and so on and so on and so forth. So, yeah, it's really, really important. And this brings up a really important context. Like, that's incredibly cool that, like, being a queer character meant having this other conversation. It didn't just mean having like a romance cutscene. You know, I, I love Bioware games. I love those RPGs, but you know, it is really overly simplistic how things work in them. You know, you make the right choices and you get the banging cutscene. You know, literally the banging cutscene. Um, and this is a little bit more nuanced and, and maybe even a little bit more realistic. It's a little bit more like the way the world works. Your experience in the world and your ability to re relate with other people in the world is is different based on who you are, right? Based on race, you know, sexuality, gender identity, et cetera, et cetera. Ten million different things that, that go into your identity. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's really, really super cool. Thank you for writing in. Thank you for, for bringing Bang in <laughs> back to the lexicon. Awesome. So next email comes from Sam. Sam writes, Hey, Weekenders. After putting off playing the game for too long, I finally got around to playing Danielle's goatee of 2015, Dropsy. I instantly fell in love with the game and was enthralled by the beautifully ugly clown and his world of hugs. What I was not expecting was the deep Christian roots of the game, something that developer Jay Tholen openly acknowledges. For personal context, I am an atheist slash agnostic with a degree in religious studies, so things like this fascinate me. Dropsy is the first Christian game I can think of that truly conveyed a loving Christianity, one that is seldom conveyed in media. Thinking of Christian games or Christian iconography in games, it is generally very grim, like Left Behind or Dante's Inferno, or dull and preachy, and more often than not, the games are just plain bad. Dropsy puts you in the role of this hugging messiah who goes around, uh, he goes around the entire world after a horrible tragedy, practicing love and kindness. His only goal is to spread joy through to the world. He doesn't care if he brings his love to, it doesn't matter who it is. He can be an evil CEO, a pagan cult, or a political activist. Heck, he even goes to a church where he, without spoiling, shows the preacher the meaning of grace. That's capital G, grace. There are other parallels to religious figures like Jesus or Paul, but further discussion could spoil the game. The game is a single, is one of the single best pieces of media I have seen for conveying a version of Christianity that is appealing and beautiful, even for a staunch atheist like myself. As for a question, why do you think Dropsy succeeds in being an expression of the creator's faith while most other games fail? Are there other games or media that have brought you to a greater understanding or even love for a different belief system or religion? All the best, Sam. Well, <laughs> the, I didn't actually know until I read this letter uh, that Dropsy was a, you know, specifically that, that Jay Tholen, you know, had Christian beliefs or, or that Dropsy was meant to be, you know, very specific in, in, about its sort of Christianity. Uh, but I, I truly love the game. I, I think it's like a game about love more than anything in the world. It's about a character who is kind of scarred and, and you know, unliked in a lot of ways and for a lot of reasons. It, this ugly clown who just wants to hug everyone and you solve problems in the world with love, with making people feel loved, with making them feel like they matter in, in a lot of ways. And 
that is incredibly appealing. I think it's appealing on just the most fundamental level of, hey, here's what it's like to have empathy and actually really genuinely care about people, even if they don't care about you back. That's true empathy. True empathy is not, you know, saying a nice thing on Twitter and, you know, just sort of feeling like, yeah, see, I care more than you. I'm one-upping you. True empathy is giving a shit about people, even if they're total assholes. (laughs) And that takes a lot. It takes being a bigger person or being a bigger clown, in this case, being a bigger sad clown. Um, And I just think that's incredibly appealing because I think that's that's a symbol of real heroism as well as real empathy. It's showing genuine love and genuine care. And these are not like cool, rad things to talk about a lot of the time, right? It's, you know, a lot of times people like to do the holier than thou thing. And I, I find myself very challenged uh, a lot of the time when we talk about religion and Christianity. I am a lapsed Catholic. (laughs) I went to Catholic school my entire life uh, from kindergarten all the way through high school as a queer (laughs) little weirdo. Um, And it was a horrible, utterly horrifying experience in a lot of ways. Uh, but I do like to think that some of the, the the wonderful aspects of Christianity, some of the true caring aspects of Christianity rubbed off on me. And I like to think that that is, that is a really wonderful and appealing thing about uh, that system of belief, the caring about everyone, the, you know, the whole idea, the parables about Jesus treating people who were considered the lowest of the low in society as if they were, you know, wonderful, great humans, wonderful, wonderful people. The idea of we're all equal, you know, in the eyes of God, and we're all worthy and deserving of not just fair treatment, but love and and sympathy. And in this game, hugs. (laughs) That's a really great and appealing system. That's a really wonderful thing. Um, And personally, I, I am not a fan of religious dogma, but I am a huge fan of that. I am a huge fan of caring about your fellow citizens of the earth and caring about them even when it's not convenient or fun or awesome and sometimes when it hurts a lot to do so. So I can absolutely see that appeal, Sam. I don't know if a game has ever made me feel (laughs) um, that way, you know, about another system of belief uh, personally. There have definitely been things that have made me feel that way. It's funny, but I I actually sort of feel like... um, (laughs) <laughs> I used to watch, and I still do actually, every Christmas I go to a, a small little repertory theater and I watch a, a presentation of A Christmas Carol that they do. It's actually Trinity Repertory Theater uh, in Providence, Rhode Island. And I'm not big on the whole, you know, well, you totally have to change your ways because otherwise you're just going to go to hell. I don't think that's necessarily the coolest thing. But I've always felt like a very strong, like, moral conviction and, and a moral, like, like a real feeling in my gut about that play, about like, yeah, you gotta be good to your fellow man. God damn it, that's right. You, you don't need all the cool ghost stuff necessarily to, to want that to be right. And maybe that is really helpful in terms of you know, dogma and education. But yeah, that, that's something that's always stuck with me whenever I kind of have tempting moments of, should I be an asshole? I'm always kind of like, well, you know. Scrooge could do it, so I guess I can be nice, too. (laughs) Next email comes in from Chris in New Zealand. Chris writes, Hi, Rob and Danielle. Sorry, you're just getting me today, but I'll tell Rob all about it. 
I muck about with game development as a hobby. I've started kicking around a game idea where the player is a wizard and I'm exploring different ways to bring magic into the game world. Unfortunately, none of them feel very, well, magical. Magic in fiction tends to be mysterious and often unpredictable. In contrast, magic generally appears in games as a transparent and mechanical system. There are many variants, but generally the player has a resource pool of points or abilities that they can use over time to affect the world in some predictable way. Don't get me wrong, I really enjoy the Elder Scrolls series, Baldur's Gate, Master of Magic, Elemental, and so on, but I'm curious about whether magic in games can be pushed in new directions. Can you think of any games where magic has some sense of wonder and strangeness? Do you think it's possible? Here are three gaming experiences where magic evoked a sense of wonder for me. I would love to find more. Uh, And Chris writes about a certain moment playing Magicka with its just bananas interactions between spells, playing colossal caves in the late 1980s on our family's first computer, and discovering the effects of various secret arcane words that we could type at the command prompt. The pen and paper game Waving Hands, aka Spellbinder, where players face off in a magical duel and use sequences of hand gestures to cast spells. Anyway, I love the show. Looking forward to many more episodes. Take it easy. Chris in New Zealand. Actually, this was a really, really interesting letter because the very first thing I thought of uh, when Chris was writing about magic and game development was a, a game, actually, it came out maybe... Last year? Okay, uh, maybe late last year, possibly late 2014. I only actually played it this year, but The Magic Circle, which I know has magic in it, which is a game about game development. Uh, but it sort of positions you as a player in an unfinished world, in a game that's like kind of not really functioning. You have to kind of like reprogram different elements in it. And, you know, it's it's very much a meditation on game development. But in a lot of ways, it felt kind of magical. It felt like it was commenting on the ways in which game developers, for you know, for all their faults, and the game takes aim at a lot of sort of big personalities in game development, uh, you know, made by some folks who had worked on Bio- the Bioshock series and so on and so forth. It felt like a real embodiment of the idea that, hey, computer simulations are the closest thing we actually have to magic in, in the human world. Like this is the closest we'll ever have. This is, this is a way for us to manipulate physics, to manipulate systems, to manipulate, you know, and simulate personality and to do all these things that we can't do in the real world. So it felt like, yeah, as much as it was making fun of that notion, it also felt like it was celebrating that notion. And some of the things I could do in that game and some of the things that I, I kind of felt like I was, I was peeking I was peeking through the curtain, but I wasn't just peeking at, like, a fake magician. I was peeking at, like, a real magician who was actually making magic happen, but it wasn't really happening the way they wanted it to, which in some way felt even more magical, which I know it probably sounds bananas, but that was a really, really cool experience, and I, I highly, highly recommend it for anybody who who does have any sort of background in, in game dev and, and knowing developers and knowing sort of the various egos that go into <laughs> making a triple A game basically, or a bigger game in, on any level. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that's maybe the closest I've felt in, you know, probably in a long time. I, I've definitely had like magical feelings, I guess about games. Take a drink. Uh, the Donkey Kong country games were special for me when I was little because they felt kind of magical. Like I felt I'm this cool little monkey and I'm exploring the world and it's beautiful and there are exploding barrels and it's great and wonderful and amazing. 
you know, in the way that things are magical when you're a kid and you just believe them and you just, you know, I didn't actually think there were literal monkeys who could run around exploding barrels. I, you know, I had some sense of reality as a 10 year old, but you know what I mean? Like it takes a lot for a game to kind of give you that, that magical feeling in general, whether it's about, you know, explicitly about magic or not. And, uh, yeah, I think that's very, very special. And hey, there's there's a little bit of magic to Dropsy, too. You know, we were talking about in the last email. There's kind of a magic about love and a magic about uh, empathy, real true empathy that I think is is <laughs> just the fucking coolest thing in the world and, and awesome. And yeah, just, just really, really cool stuff. So thank you, Chris in New Zealand. So I'm going to give y'all a weekend project as well. I just finished um, something Rob was talking about not too long ago, but I just finished The People vs. O.J. Simpson, the FX series about that 1995 trial. Uh, just a masterful, masterful series. I've actually been um, watching a lot of interviews with the actual Marsha Clark, the actual real-life uh, prosecutor who uh, tried the case and, and kind of got screwed in a lot of ways. Uh, the show really does an incredible job showing the sexism that she faced, you know, in the media. And, and you know, the media was a little bit more, more monolithic in 1995, certainly. We're talking about mass media. There weren't like a million blogs in 1995. There weren't a million websites that were, you know, necessarily up and running at that point. So, uh, you know, there was a very, very, very kind of specific narrative about her as, you know, this cold, frosty woman and all this stuff. They would make fun of her hair and her clothes and so on and so forth. And that was really instructive uh, to to see. And I've been watching a lot of interviews with her, her the real life person who is, is talking about the case now. Of course, of course she is. <laughs> it, it, it does a wonderful job kind of going into everybody's backgrounds and their reasoning for why they did what they did during this trial. Man, what a great show. Oh my God. You know, it has a soapiness to it. Certainly there's a, you know, it, it feels like an FX series that you just want to keep watching and eat popcorn and, and that kind of thing. Uh, but really just beautifully done. Actors do a brilliant, brilliant job. And, you know, I've been reading a lot about the case and you know, of course uh, they're like fact checking, um, you know, recaps of each episode saying how much was actually really real, you know, actually reported on, actually in the trial, and so much of it was. So it it's kind of incredible that this this series, this, you know, soapy drama is so close to real life. That's it's kind of amazing. Uh beautifully, beautifully made show. Really, really cool. Definitely worth watching. I watched it on Amazon, uh the whole thing. So that's available there. All right. So with that, I think it's time for us to head out and enjoy our weekends. I'm here to enjoy my weekend anyway. This episode of Idle Weekend was produced by Chris Remo and is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. If you are enjoying the show, which almost always has Rob on it and is not just me, then uh, tell a friend. Tell an enemy. Tell a frenemy. Tell people that you like. Tell people that you hate. Whoever it is that you think might enjoy this show, word of mouth does so, so much for it and we for us, and we really, really appreciate it. And also, really, really helpful for us, if you could give us a review on iTunes, that does so, so much for us. It means the universe to us. We love you folks. We want to keep doing this show, and it means so, so much that you listen and hopefully enjoy the show. You can learn more about the show, of course, at idleweekend.net, and send us questions for our weekend correspondence at questions at idleweekend.net. To keep up with the latest from us, follow us on Twitter at idleweekend. For myself this week, but usually for Rob Zachney and always 
and forever for Rob Zachney. This has been Danielle Riendo wishing you the finest of Idle Weekends. Welcome to Idle Weekend. I'm Danielle Riendo, and I'm here with myself. That's right, it is a very special solo show, but don't worry, Rob will be back. <clears throat> Good f- Sorry about that. I'm going to do that again. We'll do a little clap. <clears throat> Welcome to Idle Weekend. I'm Danielle Riendo, and I'm here with myself. Oh, God.